What a great God. Praise the Lord. While you're standing, one verse of Scripture, Romans 2 and 4. We're continuing with uh, this lesson on the gift of repentance. And uh, last week just talked about what repentance is, what a gift it is uh, that some people you know, look at repentance as a scolding or it comes with a scolding or correction or but you know even with correction that God gives us it comes with love so uh, understanding that repentance is a gift to us Romans 2 and 4 says uh, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance and since we all battle with temptation and sin, today we're going to talk about that God gives us the space to repent. The space to repent. Let's pray for the lesson. Lord, we love you today and thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises and all that they contain, Lord. Let our hearts receive it today in good ground. Let us have a heart that's ready to repent. Let us have a heart that's ready to be corrected, God. And Lord, we love you and praise you for it. We thank you for your long suffering and mercy today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. And give him another hand clap and a shout of praise before you're seated. God, we love you and praise you. Hallelujah. Thank you for your word today, God. Thank the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you for being in discipleship this morning. So, uh, again, the theme as we go, uh, the two things that we all battle with, doesn't matter who we are, how long we've served God, that we all battle with temptation and sin, God gives us the space to repent. There's a, a narrative story, sometimes these are pretty good and sometimes I, I skip them, but then other times I like to read them just to kind of imprint in our minds a thing that God did. And so we're going to read, if you could just, you know, in your mind, be thinking about the time, about the time that John the Baptist was born. It says, the circumstances of his birth were supernatural. His parents were beyond childbearing years, but they were prime candidates to nurture and develop a voice for God at a time when it was so desperately needed. For four centuries, there had been no consensus prophetic voice, no inspired pen, no divine visitation. The religious world of the first century had strayed far from authentic relationship with God. And perhaps it was because God was not speaking, and therefore man had been left to his own devices, that such corruption had assumed the religious reigns in Israel. The entire nation needed to be shaken and brought to its knees in soul-searching repentance. When the last stroke of ink dried on the book of Malachi, the term Sadducee and Pharisee had not yet been coined. It was during the Second Temple period that many different groups of religious Jews emerged to dominate the culture and control the religious mindset. The Sadducees were the ruling class of the religious elite. From their ranks came the governing body of 70 elders called the Sanhedrin. They had become liberal in their interpretation of Scripture going so far as to deny the resurrection of the dead and virtually discredit anything remotely claiming to be supernatural. It was their religious spirit and denial of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ that put him to death. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed in miracles and life after death, and they alone had become the de facto interpreters of Scripture. Their legalistic approach to God's Word influenced them to adhere to the letter of the law while diminishing the spirit of the law. 
The fruit of this skewed approach to Scripture was self-righteousness, hypocrisy, and corruption. So the stage was ready, and the religious temperature set for a singular voice to begin crying in the wilderness. No one from within the ranks of this religious group would have been qualified or successful in arresting their attention. This man of God would not be trained in their rabbinical schools, nor privately groomed by any of their rabbis, and not in anyone's back pocket. The breakthrough firebrand was no cookie-cutter communicator. For starters, his conception was announced by an angel who also declared his birth name, followed by the dumbing of his father until his birth. The first somersault he turned occurred while he was still in his mother's womb as she listened with astonishment to the announcement of Mary and her holy conception. The angel informed his parents that that their world-shaker son would live a life of sacrifice, including a strict diet that his ministry would mirror that of Elijah and would convince many to turn to God. His wardrobe was a camel-haired suit, accessorized with a leather belt, and his diet was grasshopper souffle with a side of honey. (laughs) He was offered no synagogue lectern, so his pulpit was perhaps a protruding rock near the Jordan River. But within a few weeks, his compelling ministry emptied out nearly every synagogue from Dan to Bathsheba. Multitudes flocked to hear this reed shaken with the wind, as Jesus called him. His message was simple but powerful. It was the only message that would bring what had been missing and desperately needed for centuries, conviction. He cried in Matthew 3 and 2, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the reason uh, this story, I, I feel, along with this lesson, since we have a space to repent, is that we see God allowing a space of time for men to get things right. After 400 years of silence, the first message back to his people is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After 400 years and them trying to figure it out and get it right themselves, God says, if I'm going to straighten this out, then they're going to have to repent and they're going to have to turn to me. Even John, uh, when you read his, uh, his messages that he, in the beginning of his ministry, when he sees them showing up to the banks of the Jordan, he, he calls them uh, vipers. And, and who, who has warned you to flee, uh, you generation of vipers? Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he tells them, uh, you need to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. And he began to preach to them about changing their ways and turning their life. And, and so instead of this time that God could have just said, man, they just can't get it right and just wiping them out, he allows a space of time. And then he allows a message that is for all of God's people, even for us today, still repent and get it right. I'm giving you a chance to fix things because if you don't, you will just you'll be destroyed. If you don't repent, you'll be lost. If you don't repent, you can't get it right. You've got to have some conviction. Something's got to happen. And so John is preaching to these people. And, and he don't look like the, the run-of-the-mill uh, rabbi. You know, He's not like these men standing in the temples on the Sabbath day. He's, he's out there with his uh, camel hair and he's... Is uh, you know I, I don't know what he looked like. Maybe he looked like a wild man. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But uh, he didn't wear the the regular garment, and he was always wet because he was always in the water. He was always baptizing people, and he didn't answer to anybody except God. 
He was a forerunner, and God had given him what to say, and he was preaching what God told him to say. And so as we look at this gift of repentance, we realize that God knows what the message is that his people need. So many times we think, I know what I need. But then we say, I'm going to church so I can get a word from God because God's going to speak to me. I'll get something. He'll give me what I need. Well, repentance is what God was given because it's what people needed. And it's what people still need today. And thank God that he has given us a space of time to repent, a place where we can get things right. Even in our opening scripture, uh, Paul is writing to this church and these people that have uh, uh, been serving God, but he, he gets to a point where he says, do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance, which means a holding back of wrath or delaying punishment, and then long-suffering, which is patience. He said, don't you realize that God is holding back judgment? That while you're alive today and you still have an opportunity, God is holding back his wrath and holding back his judgment. That he's being patient with us. Even when we're doing wrong, he's still loving us. Even when we're making mistakes, he's still showing mercy. God has provided a space to repent. He's given us a chance to get things right. He's, he's, he's saying, look, I understand what you're doing. And maybe you feel like you're right, but Repent. And he's given us a space of time to get it right. It's, it's so important for us to stay in God's word and read uh, his, that his attitude and his vision for the church and for his people. Even into the book of Revelation when we read about uh, how the Spirit spoke to the seven churches. Uh, we still hear the Spirit saying, repent and do the first works. Get back to the love that you walked away from. Get back to the things that were uh, light. you got some things you're doing right, but I, ha- I do have a few things that you need to straighten out. Repent and do the first works. And so we can get caught up if we're not careful doing things that, w- that have a scriptural basis, but we feel like we need to tune it to fit the culture. But God's saying my word is right for any culture. My word is right for any generation. It's, it's the same as it's always been. When Jesus walked this earth, he didn't have to change for every person he met to meet their needs. He was everything that they needed just like he was. God's word is what everybody needs just like it is. I don't have to tweak it or erase it or add to it because it's just like it needs to be. And that one word that's in there, there's a a beginning right there. And even uh, we get so excited about being a book of Acts church. But what did Jesus tell his disciples to preach? Before that day of Pentecost, he gave them the instructions. He said, I'm going to give you an outline. When you get ready, when all these people, devout men from every nation are gathered together, I want you to preach repentance and remission of sin in my name. Don't start off with everything else trying to, don't, don't try to lure them in with, with everything else, with programs and clubs and, and uh, a lot of flash and a lot of bang. He said, Start out saying, when they, when they get to the point that they say, what shall we do? Peter's first word was, repent. You sound just like John the Baptist. That's right. Sound just like Jesus too, because that's the first thing he preached when he started preaching. You can't get away from it. You can't sweep it under the rug. Repentance is a gift. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. It comes from him. And repentance gives us an opportunity to get it right. And God has given us a space 
because he is forbearing and he is long-suffering. He's kind to us. He's merciful every day. He gives us an opportunity to get it right. The sad thing is, is people shrug that. They procrastinate because they feel like, well, God hadn't struck me dead yet. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. You can't keep walking in error forever. You can't keep walking in wrong forever because no man knows, knows the day or the hour of his departure. You say, oh, I feel good. I ain't going nowhere for a long time. Hope that's true. Hope the man that runs the stoplight knows that's true too. You never know when you're feeling good and the doctor's going to say, but you're not doing good. You never know uh, what your time, your life is just a vapor that appears a little while. And then we're out of here. So while we have a chance, while we have a time, God is being good to us. And, and Paul was warning, he said, do you despise the riches of his goodness? You're not taking advantage of what he's given you. He's given you a space to repent. Yes, God still loves people. Yes, his mercy endures forever. But we have got to take advantage of what he's offering. We've got to make sure that we're doing, because if we don't, it's going to be our, our ruin. It's going to end us. Uh, I think that the reason that John's message caused so much stir is that people had gotten tired of the same old, same old every day. It don't seem like anybody's profiting but the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They all doing fine and we all got nothing. But here comes a man preaching something new. Here comes a man telling me that I can change. I know what repentance meant for my life. It meant a chance for me to get out from under the sin that was covering me. It was an opportunity for me to get my life on track and get something better. Repentance is a new life because it's turning away from old things and turning to new things. It's turning away from the world and turning toward Jesus. And so maybe these people finally got fed up with just getting by. And when this man started preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they realized there's something new on the horizon. There's something better coming. He even preached to them and said, now I'm going to baptize you with water unto repentance, but there's one coming after me. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. People said, I want to take part of this. And I wanted that. I, I think that's why that, that repentance is a, a message of change, but it comes with the goodness of God. Because here's people that know I have been awful and God has not struck me dead. I have been horrible and yet I am still alive. Here was people that said, I know that I'm doing wrong and I'm still serving in the temple. You see, repentance covers every category. It covers the saint in the pew and it covers the man on the pulpit. Everybody needs repentance. Everybody needs a space to repent. And I'm glad that God was offering that. And John came preaching that. He was leading up to Jesus being here. And then when Jesus gets here, I'm not changing the message yet. Repent. That's what he said. And so we see that God's always been trying to call his people to something better. In Ezekiel 18, in verse 30, the Lord's talking to Israel. And he says, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways saith the Lord God, repent. Talking always, God's always told his people, 
Now, he's not slapping them. He's not kicking them. He's being good to them. Instead of just taking them out, he's saying, judgment's coming, and I'm going to look at every one of your ways, so repent. Judgment's not here yet, but it's coming. So while you've got space, while you've got time, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed. Make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Why would we just sit in our sin and die when God has given us a space to repent? Why sit and wait for judgment and don't do nothing when he's saying, I am giving you opportunity. Every breath that you have today is another chance for you to say, God, I am sorry for the way I lived and I am sorry that I did wrong, but I want to change and I want to turn and thank you for not just kicking me to the curb and thank you for not cutting me off and thank you for not throwing me away and and killing me in my sin, but thank you. Because after I searched myself, I realized, God, there's things that I'm still working on. I'm sorry, and I repent. I know this is not the right way to go, so I'm turning around because I don't want to be caught on the wrong side of the door. The Scripture said there's coming a time when Jesus is coming back. I think about those, those, those ten virgins, five wise and five foolish, and, and they're all asleep, and they're all laying there, and, and here comes that cry. Make yourself ready. And five of them were not ready. And they find themselves knocking on the door after a period of time. Let us in, but it's too late. I don't want to be too late. Not while God's giving me a space to repent. So he said, why would you, why? Why? Israel's his people. He's not even worried about Gentiles right now. He's talking to his people. Hey, child, Why? Die when you have a Savior. Why, when I have given you an exit, would you just die? Why would you stay right here and be ruined and be lost? And hey, and guess what? If it's a still a period of time before judgment's coming, why would you, you just live in ruin? Because all this time while judgment is waiting to come and you're not getting it right, you're unhappy, you're not getting better, you're not getting ready. You're just living in ruin and heartache and sadness instead of turning your life around to me. But I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a space. I'm not going to cut you off yet. He said, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies. Now the scripture says that the, the death of his saints is precious in his sight. But he's not talking to them. He's talking about people that I know you. And I know what's going on with you. And I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. In other words, repent and live. Repentance, it is about dying. It's dying to old ways. But it's a turning yourself to new life. A better life. A life that's pleasing to God. Don't ever be ashamed of repentance. Because it's a gift from God. And while you're sitting here, if you woke up today, and you did because you're here, and people all over this world that opened their eyes this morning, 
And some of them got ready. They'd make their way to the house of God. Some of them will wake up and not even think about him and not even realize that the clock's ticking, that time is winding up, that at any moment the Savior could come again. And while they're drinking their coffee and reading their paper this morning, not worried about anything else, worried about politics and everything else going on in this world, everything but their soul. And Jesus is saying, you got an opportunity today to repent and turn and live because I don't want anybody to die. But I'm thankful that God has given us a space of time to repent. Let me tell you, uh, the, in this scripture, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Part of that goodness is that forbearance and that long-suffering. It's that space. It gives us opportunity to get to a place that he wants us to be. It's not his will that any perish. Remember last week we talked about that. But that all would come to repentance. So I want you to come here. I want you to come there. God's going to make me sit in heavenly places. And God's going to open up doors for me. Before any of them, before he wants to see you in any of those places, he wants you to see you in a place called repentance. He wants you to see you in a place that, that keeps you from perishing. Because you know what? You can get in a position before repentance. You can uh, create a reputation for yourself before repentance. You can uh, get out and start doing good deeds and good works before you repent. And all that is going to be going on. You can, then you could stand just like them people saying, didn't we do this in your name? But you never repented. But didn't I uh, drive the bus and didn't I feed the hungry? Didn't I? But you never changed who you were. I don't want to find myself behind a pulpit. I want to bypass repentance to get to the pulpit or the platform. I want to bypass uh, repentance uh, so I can get to a, a ministry or a title or a position. Because ultimately all that matters is that I make it through the gate and hear him say, well done. So before I start trying to, to put the cart before the horse, so to speak, before I start trying to do things in the wrong uh wrong time I want to make sure that I have started off with the first word of these messages repent John said it Jesus said it Peter said it God said it let me tell you I want to make sure that I am obeying this wonderful word this gift and right now I have the opportunity and the time and let me tell you if you're sitting in here today and your mind's going my goodness there's some things I know I need to get right guess what you're blessed today because God has given you a space. God has given you a time and an opportunity to say, I'm sorry, and I'm going to quit doing wrong, and I'm going to turn and start doing right. I don't care how many years or how many days you've uh, you know, built up the wrong. It don't take but one step to turn around and start doing right and leaving all that stuff behind. I want to make sure that I am taking advantage of the goodness of God. His forbearance and his mercy and his long-suffering. He's very patient with us, watching out for us. The goodness of God can sometimes, you know, sometimes people are hindered by the goodness of God. Because they think, they mistake the goodness of God as something that they're owed. God don't owe us anything. But he gives us everything. He don't owe us. And we have to still 
keep the goodness of God in the right place. I think about Israel going into uh, Jericho and God's already told them everything that's inside. He said, Jericho, shut up, but I've, I've already promised you what's behind these walls. You're going to get it. You're going to have victory. You're going get, to get that. He said, but you're not going to take any of the spoil, taking anything out of this place. There's one man, one man out of all those people, out of all of Israel, that could not keep his hands off the spoil. Walking around for seven days thinking what he's owed and, oh, I can't wait to get in and see what's behind these walls. And, and he, was, he had the great, his future was going to be so wonderful. God had told him, you're going to live in cities you didn't build. You're going to eat from vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to, uh, the enemy's going to be driven out from for you. That's the goodness of God. Look how good God is to you. And still he couldn't, he just felt like he was owed something maybe in that land. And he was, he began to covet and he began to desire things. And, and it don't matter. Listen, Achan was there in the victory. I don't know how many people maybe he, he killed. How many soldiers he, he fought off. I don't know what his actual role was, but he was part of the victorious army. And he still lost his life. Because he disobeyed God. I'm going to tell you something. One victory is not a pass for us to be disobedient to God's word. Ooh, I just come out of this smelling like a rose. And then think, oh, I can do what I want to. God, God must think I'm extra special because there ain't never been a battle won like this. And so I can do what I want to. That's another danger sometimes. People, that goodness of God, people think, wow, I'm doing so good. They let their guard down. You know, sometimes uh, people, they, they go through bad things, and sometimes they go through good, good things. Good things don't necessarily mean people are good, and bad things don't necessarily mean people are bad. The rich man and Lazarus. Rich man had everything he wanted in his life. Lazarus sat at the gate, and dogs licked his sores. But when the curtain is pulled back on eternity, we see Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And we see the rich man lifting his eyes in hell. The best of situations in this world don't guarantee you a place in paradise. You better repent. You better do what's right. You better do what you're supposed to do. There's a story in here. There's a pastor. He asked one of his saints, he said, because he was struggling with temptation. And he said, what are the circumstances typically when you give in to this? What, what happens what, every time this comes around? Is there something that you notice? And the man told him, he said, when everything in my life is going right, that's when I mess up. Now, that's the exact opposite. And some people, sometimes people, when things start shaking in their life, that's when they walk away from God. Because they feel like God don't love them. God don't care. Or they just get, you know, throw in the towel. So it's on two ends of the spectrum. What I'm telling you is, is good circumstances or bad circumstances really don't play into it. It's what you think about God. Because if you're going through the worst of it, you can be saved. And if you're going through the best of it, you can be saved. Or you're going through the worst of it, you can be lost. And you can be having the best of it and be lost. It's where our attitude is with God. Because I know people like that. Man, when things start going good, they blow it. It's like they, they can't hold on to the wheel. It's like 
Everything's going right. Job's going good. They've been doing good. They've been preaching and praying. Next thing you know, it's a mess. Why? Everything's going good. It's like they can't stand to have good days. And so they got to do something to mess it up. But then you see them people that one thing goes wrong. God don't love me. Just, you can tell it. You can tell it as soon as they start posting. You can see it. You can't hide it. When will we just remember that God is God? On my good day and on my bad day, I've got a God. On my good day, I need him. On my bad day, I need him. Whatever it is, good or bad, God's just God. And he's like, I'm not going to love you more when you're doing well than I do when you're struggling. I love you the same every day. Why don't we see him the same every day? He views us the same every day. And our view of him changes with our situation. And being a pastor puts you in a vantage point sometimes to see that. You watch people I've, I've, over the years now, pastored people, and, and you learn. You just know. I can tell sometimes when the phone rings. I can feel it. God lets me know right before I answer the phone. I know what's, what this call's about. And it'll be right on. Because there's some people I know that never, ever call me until, this certain, until, until life is in this point. And so I know. Here it comes. And I have to sit there and, and put out a chart for them and say, listen, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. Oh, I never thought about it like that. Why? Why do you quit thinking? <laughs> if you would just keep thinking, we wouldn't have this problem. People stop thinking. They lose their expectation in God. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't mind because this is what I do. My wife, she'll tell you, she gets the same phone calls. She gets as many as I do. More sometimes, thankfully. I'll let her have them. But she does. She handles a lot of calls. She gets them. And she'll tell you, this is what we do. I don't mind reminding people, hey, God's on your side. I listened to my wife talk to somebody the other day. Just tell them how great they were doing. You've got ministry. This is going on in your life. This is going on. And just finally had to tell them, say, just be all right. You know what? Sometimes and people, ooh, it makes them mad because they want a better answer than that. But you want to tell them, say, you know what? Just be okay. Just be okay. But this is going on. So does that stop you from being okay? No, it don't. Well, when you trust God, things can be okay. The person, the circumstances may not be okay, but the person can be okay. That's why you read about uh, Paul in that middle of that big storm and everybody else is running around all screaming and hollering and going crazy and throwing stuff overboard. And he says, be of good cheer. Throw him over next. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 you, you don't get it. Because the angel of the Lord... Whose I am stood by me this night, and he's let me know that this ship's gonna break up all around us, but there won't be one loss of life 
as long as we abide in the ship. You stay with what you started with. You hang on to it and you trust God. Oh, no. Yeah, is the ship really going to break up? It is. This boat will never carry another passenger, but I'm going to be okay. You know what? Your boat may break up. And things might change in your life and never be like they were before. But you can be okay. You can be okay. Because when our mind is stayed on the Lord, he said, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on me. Does that mean, you know what? If he's got to keep me in peace, he knows there's going to be things all around me that could cause me stress. But I'm going to keep him. Oh, God's a keeper, isn't he? He'll keep you in peace. He'll keep you strong. He'll help you in every situation. God will keep you. He'll keep you in the furnace. He'll keep you in the den of lions. He'll keep you on the stormy sea. And let me tell you, God will keep you. And so, I want to make sure that I recognize that God is always God. Paul said, Paul had this understanding because he knew he could do everything through Christ. So he makes these comments in Philippians 4 and 11. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not, he didn't say that last because that was the realization. That was what he already knew. Because he knew he would get the question at the end of that, how do you know you can do all these things, Paul? How do you know that you can be abased and abound and, and you can be full and hungry and you can suffer need and, and, and you can just be all right? How, how do you know this? Because I can do all things through Christ. That's how I know. People, you know what? A lot of things people go through, I don't know. I've never experienced actually what they're facing. These brothers and sisters that the doctor told them they had cancer, well, I've never had to face that. And so I can't say I know what it's like to have cancer. I, can't, I, don't, I have no idea what that's like to hear those words. I can't, imagine, I can't imagine them telling me that about my spouse or my kids. I cannot fathom that. I don't have to understand that. To know that God is still God. Uh, that's not throwing on, on, on it and making light of it. It is horrible. What I'm telling you is that God is a God that keeps us through horrible situations. God is a God that takes care of us and that is good to us and gives us space of time. Gives us time to repent. Gives us a space to get things right and be right with him. Gives us uh, to take advantage of the goodness. And when we are in a right place with God, when we know who he is and we're, his goodness, it shouldn't make us self-righteous. It shouldn't make us uh, proud and boastful in ourselves, but it, it should humble us. Because who am I? that I would deserve that kind of love and mercy? Who am I that, that God would, would call? Uh, I've said it before, I've said it again, y'all that didn't know me uh, before the Lord, 
there, I promise you, there was no qualification for this position in the body. There was nothing that I had done that, that made this. But, but when he came offering a chance to change, I took it. Yeah. And I didn't just take it saying, I don't know if this will work. I just swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. I believe this is going to be a new life. And I promise you that night, I said to the Lord, whatever this is, don't ever let it leave me. I don't want to be back in the world in two weeks. I don't want to be doing the things I was doing in a month or so. I don't want to ever go back to that life. So whatever it takes to make this stay, that's what I want you to do inside of me right now. You know what? I can do that, but that partly depends on you. Are you going to repent? You better believe it. I can remember hearing that voice inside my head, that old enemy trying to stop me. Don't you do it. You'll have to start. You'll be telling it all. He knows it all anyway. I don't care who hears what. I don't care what I have to say. Man, I was repenting. I was crying. I was asking God's mercy and love. I was whatever I could get. And there was some there in here that night. My, my wife, my sister was there. Sister Phyllis, if she's in here, she was there. But I'm telling you, the power of God got on me so strong. Woo! Never forget that night. Oh, and I can hear Sister Everhart right behind me. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. Woo! She'd bounce like that. That ain't you, it's the Lord. She wanted to make sure you realized this was God getting a hold of you. And I could hear that voice through all that commotion that was going on. Because, bro, I'm telling you, there was an army of people doing everything they could to make sure I got it. I wouldn't change it. But I was humbled by that, that God would do that. And I want to make sure that I stay in a humble place. I want to stay thankful to God for what he's given me. Paul said in the last days when he wrote to Timothy, he said there would come a time when people would be unthankful. And then immediately behind that he said, and unholy. When you stop being thankful, you're just one step away from being unholy. Let that sink in. When you stop being thankful for what God's given you, you start acting like we're entitled or you start being unthankful. An unthankful heart will not recognize that every good gift and perfect gift comes from above. They have this, you owe me, they're entitled. Oh, that's a big spirit in this world today, entitled, that the world owes everybody something. I tell you, I said it before, God doesn't owe us anything, but he gives us everything. And so... God's goodness and forbearance and long-suffering towards us, it takes care of us. God has given us a space to repent. In Ezra 9 and 13, he told us Ezra was, they were actually talking to the Lord. And God had put them in captivity and they began to pray. Because even though they were in captivity, he didn't wipe them out. He said, and after all that's come upon us for our evil deeds, 
and for our great trespass, seeing that thou, God, has punished us less than our iniquity deserves and has given us such deliverance as this. It's the same thing for us today. That God has blessed us and he has punished us less than we deserved. Corrected us in love. But he has given us such a deliverance as this. That we could repent of our sins. Turn away from unrighteousness and live for him. And these things, this space comes from the goodness of God. Ain't you glad how good God is to you today? Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. God's been good. People walk away from God, but there's some things that people ought to think about before they walk away from God. Just how good they got it. There was a story along with this lesson about a family. They had seven children and raised them up in their house. They were lived right behind the church there in that neighborhood and praying family, God-fearing family, raised their kids up, taught them to play music and to sing. And, man, they would pray together and sing together and just worshiped God together. And one day... The 15-year-old son, after his dad had corrected him for something he had done and had gotten, gotten in a little trouble, he decided, I'm running away. I'm tired of being treated like a kid anyway, 15. Tired of doing chores. Tired of sharing a room. I'm, I, I'm, I said, I'm leaving. So he goes and he tells his mom, I said, Mom, I'm running away. She said, okay. She went upstairs to his bedroom with him, got his suitcase out and put it on the bed. She starts packing his clothes. She said, now, son, before you go, I want you to look around this room because this is the room that you share with your brothers. In this room is where your dad would come at night and read a bedtime story to you. He would put his hand on, his, on your head and pray for you. Your brothers would wrestle and play and y'all... You have a lot of good times in this room. Just want you to look at it because if you're running away, this is probably the last time you'll see it. And they head down the stairs and they stop in the living room and said, I just want you to take a look around, son, at the living room. And you see the piano where we gather around on Saturday mornings and we sing and y'all play your instruments and we pray here and have devotion right here and uh, all these things. That I just want you to take a good look at it because a lot of good times here. And if you're running away... Last time you're going to see it. And they're going through the kitchen toward the back door, and the boy is just like, what kind of mom is this? She should be sitting at the table crying in her handkerchief right now and trying to stop me from going out to the evils of this world, and she, she don't even really care. And she said, this kitchen is where I fix breakfast every morning. She said, every day of your life you've woke up to the smell of bacon and eggs and toast and coffee perking and we sat around this table and played games and talked about our days and had a lot of good times, but I just want you to look at it because if you run away, last time you'll see it. She opens the door, hugs him, kisses him on the cheek, and kind of nudges him out the door. As he's walking off, she's waving and smiling at him and closes the door. He can't believe it. And then he starts thinking about all the good times he had at home. He's walking around his neighborhood with his suitcase. 
He's thinking, maybe I don't have this running away thing figured out. Maybe I want to think twice about this. And, but I can't go home right away. I, I need to stay out at least one night. Make it look good. So he finds a place, his neighbor's house, they got a high porch and he sees a little opening under it. So he crawls up under it and he said, I'll just sleep here tonight. And a little while the neighbor's dog curls up with him. Wakes up in the morning and finds himself standing at the kitchen door. His mom opens it up and he can smell that bacon, that coffee. Got a little smile on his face. Says, Mom, can I come home? She said, you sure can. Well, what happened? He said, well, I started thinking about all the good things I've got at home. All the good people, all the good food, all the good times. And it humbled me and I'd like to come back home. Thankfully, he had a place to do that. That's the way it is. People just need to remember how good they got it with God. Don't let one little hiccup throw you off, push you out. Remember how good God is. Let's lift our hands to you this morning and thank him that he's given us a space to repent. Hallelujah. Won't you thank him for your goodness, for the goodness that he showed you today. Hallelujah. God, we thank you. Oh, I know. I'm sure as a people we can be trying at times, God, but thank you for your love and mercy, for your long-suffering, your forbearance, what patience you have toward us. God, we thank you. Oh, help us, God, to have a heart that's ready to turn and repent. Lord, don't let me ever get hard-hearted against you, oh God. Don't let me ever get hard in my spirit against you, God, or against your house or against your ways. Oh, thank you for your goodness and mercy this morning, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you. Oh, we're so thankful for that gift of repentance, Lord. Thank you today. Give him a hand clap of praise in this house. What a great God. I can tell you this. On a single soul here, well done, unless they've repented. So everybody wanting to go to heaven. But I promise you, that's one gate you won't walk through unless you first found yourself in a place of repentance. God's good to us. Thank you for being in uh, discipleship this morning. Let's find a place to pray before the next service. I believe God's going to do some great things. God bless you.